uh, this morning, I have the opportunity to be able to share with you a message that is somewhat of a continuation of what Pastor Mike preached on just last week. And uh, I want you to kind of imagine for a moment, now we're in our fourth week in the book of Galatians, and uh, the book of Galatians has a pretty consistent theme throughout. But the idea uh, of the book of Galatians begins with the idea that Paul, uh, the writer of the book, is a little bit perturbed at his audience. And you can see that in the language that he's using. But I want you to imagine for just a moment, you're the writer of this book, you have risked your life to go out beyond the borders of what would be the norm of what was being taught. So places that had never heard anything about Jesus before were all of a sudden hearing it because the Apostle Paul said, I'm willing to go. And then what happened was that the enemy began to rob people of the joy that Paul was sharing in the gospel of Christ. And the very re- the reason why it is so important for us is that the attack that was on the Galatian people is not unlike the attacks that we receive today. And that's what I love so much about Scripture, that it is very poignant and very applicable to all of our lives. Um, And what the Galatian people were experiencing was one of two different distortions of the gospel. Mike kind of uh, rolled some of this out in previous weeks, but I'll just review it with you. The first distortion of the gospel was this that there were people who were uh, embracing the gospel, and yet they could not do the gospel without works of the law. And this is why. Because the law was divine, it was holy, it came from God, and Jewish Christians had a hard time not adding those things to the gospel because it was their history, it was their safety, it was what they knew. And this group that was coming into this region, trying to dismantle what Paul was saying, or really add to what Paul was saying, was a group called the Judaizers. And so we know the formula, Pastor Mike has shared it with us, the formula is that faith for true salvation, faith alone equals salvation and works. So therefore, we are saved by faith alone. And because we are saved by faith alone, we begin to serve and we begin to do and we begin to love others and we begin to apply the things that God has put into our lives. But with the Judaizers coming in, what they did was they reversed that. And they said, faith plus works equals salvation. So it was much easier for them to internalize faith plus doing something because it is something that's palatable. And what we miss if we uh, abide by the gospel that way, and we might say, well, that was them, that's not me. But the reality is we all naturally, we all naturally want to do things to merit the love of God, whatever those things might be. And so Mike spoke really clearly on what, how valuable the law was last week and how valuable it is even for us, and how important it is for us to obey the moral law, the moral portions of the law, because those are the ways that we ought to live, even still today, and realizing uh, that we should not ignore it. We don't elevate the law, but we don't ignore the law. Um, So why wouldn't we just forget about the law? It's old, it's antiquated, it's outdated, it seems. It's because it is a way for us to see the incredible perfection of our Creator. 
It flows out of who God is. Um, I love this way to look at the law. There's another way to look at the law, and that is that the law is a diagnostic and not the cure. How do we know to live in freedom in Christ? It's through, free, through our relationship with Christ, but the law is just diagnostic. It's not the cure. So um, recently and in, in the last three to four months, uh, we have had an unusually high number of people that attend Crossroads getting diagnosed with cancer. And that is a terrible diagnosis. And however it is that you find out initially, whatever the symptoms are, you go to the doctor, the doctor will set you up with an MRI, which will give you a picture, albeit sometimes imperfectly, of the tumor or tumors that you might have. But you can go in time and again, MRI after MRI after MRI, and the reality of that is that it will never cure the sickness that you have. It is always only going to be a diagnostic, and that is exactly what the law is. It shows us how sick we are, but it doesn't cure us. It only points us to the cure. And so really what we've looked at in the first few weeks of our study of Galatians is rather simple. The fact that there is good news means that there's bad news. Uh, The fact that there's good news means that there's bad news, that there's brokenness and sin and that we are fallen short, that we have worshipped things that are not God. And God's response to that is that he makes a way for us to be able to have access to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That if we believe and accept him, the first thing is that we are given Christ's righteousness and then two— He takes on our rebellion and our sin so that when God looks at us, he now sees Christ in his perfection. He's blameless and he's spotless. That is the gospel. So in Galatians chapter 5, we see this rolled out. So just in a few more chapters. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The yoke of slavery is the law. It's what we desire to do to merit the love of God. And the reason why that verse is there is because earlier in that verse, it says, do not submit again, which means that all of us, this is where it sets the problem up for us. Every one of us has the problem of wanting to go back again to do things to merit the love and favor of God and not rest in the freedom of God. Of God, And so while Pastor Mike focused on the law in last week's message, uh, this week we are going to focus on what it means to live in faith and in freedom in Christ. So if you have your Bibles and, or a device of some sort where you can see the passage, I would encourage you to open up to the book of Galatians, a book that can be a little challenging to find at times. It's a really small book, but you find your way to the New Testament and you find the books of Corinthians, which are rather easy. It is right after the, book of, the books of Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, and then you'll see the book of Galatians chapter 2. And I want to read just one simple verse because the language of Paul can be a little confusing at times. I want to start in verse 19, and I just want to make it rather simple when we look at this verse, how easy it is to see what Paul is trying to communicate to us. So Galatians 2 verse 19 says this, For through the law I died to the law that I might live for God. It's very simple. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. 
Now, what Paul is saying in that simplistic small verse is that there is a greater law. The greater law of faith is greater than the original law, the Mosaic law with all of its rules and with all of its regulations, that there is a greater law that set him free. So for uh, maybe this is an easier way to look at that. For my wife and I, we are in the throes of raising young children. You know, like my daughter's four and a half and my, well, we have two daughters now. That was a little faux pas. But we have a four and a half year old daughter and a six month old daughter. And for our four and a half year old daughter, for any of you who have raised children, you integrate into the lives of your parenting rules. You have to do that. And, you know, in the midst of parenting, there's pride and there's thankfulness and there's love and all the wonderful things that come with parenting. And for the sake of this illustration, just assume that my wife and I have given our older daughter only two rules. The first rule is have fun. That's a really good rule. I mean, having fun is a really important part of being a child. But the second rule is be safe. And so which of those two rules is the most important? And I'll make it super simple for you. If my daughter grabbed a pair of scissors, held incorrectly, by the way, and started running around in circles, she would be obeying rule number one. But that is not the most important rule. By far, be safe would trump have fun every day of the week. And it's in our parenting, that's what we see. So if something is fun and not safe, you enforce the greater rule for the good of your children. So what we get here in this text is that there's a greater rule, that there's a greater law that set him free. So we look at that verse. For through the law, through the greater law, I died to the old law so that I might live. And that's what I want you to see, so that we might live. And yet for many of us, we try to earn God. So for us, we are not under the law. We are under grace. And so as simple as it is for me to say and for you to hear, we often don't live that way. When we think about living for God, we often point to an external action, how much and how often we serve, how much and how often we go to church, and maybe the fact that we're a member at a church. Um, actions in your lifestyle that set you apart from others, that make you maybe, uh, quote-unquote, better off than others, and the list can go on and on. But we know that external action does not lead to salvation. A life lived for God means that you are living by faith in Christ alone. And in our lives with Christ, there's a continual posture of these four things. Our continual posture of brokenness and repentance and confession and belief. And we'll begin to see that posture bubble up in our lives when we have a faith in Christ. And so, the primary reason why the Apostle Paul uses verse 19 to show us this new law is because of what we see in verse 16. So just a little bit farther up, just a couple of verses above verse 19. But let me explain to you what's in front of that. So verse 15 and before, we see a couple of things that are in that passage. We see uh, Paul telling us what's wrong with what Peter did, as if we need to know more about what Peter did wrong. We know plenty of what he did wrong. And yet he is explaining before verse 16, that Peter was being hypocritical. He was living 
with Gentiles trying to live like a Gentile, a non-Jew. He's trying to live like a Gentile, and yet at the same time trying to get those Gentiles to live as much like Jews as he could. And if that sounds confusing, it is confusing, and that's the point. Paul is saying, stop, don't do that. Stop what you're doing. Stop this mess. It makes no sense. It's a confrontation uh, that Paul had with Peter. So now we come from that little understanding of what Peter was experiencing down to verse 16, and this is what we get when Paul distills it all down. He says this in verse 16, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And that is so simple, but we might get caught up on a little word in that text, and that word is justified. We may get caught up and maybe even skip over that word, but that word is the point. The, the bottom line of this entire chapter, this entire book, is that little word, justified. And that's a little misunderstood word. But the fact is that you and I live our lives, day in and day out, of a place where we want to be justified. We want that. So the word, let me explain this. The word means declared righteous or declared innocent. Not earned righteous or earned innocence, but declared righteous. Somebody has said of you that you are innocent, that you are righteous before God. You are okay, that you are worthy of God. A second ago, I just said that we live our lives out of a place where we want justification. Let me explain what I mean by that. Day in and day out, in our normal daily lives, we want other people to believe that we are worthy to be where we are. Think about where you work. The way that you live, the way that you work is to let your staff members know, your colleagues know, your superiors know that you are worthy of being where you are, worthy of your position. Think about going out on the golf course. And I always chuckle about how serious some people take the game of golf. And if you take the game of golf seriously, I apologize. But I am not, I'm not a good golfer. But when I get out there, I want to dress the part and I want to follow the rules of etiquette. And I want to swing in such a way that other people that are watching me swing, well, number one, that my ball goes straight. But number two, that I might be worthy of being on their team or worthy of being on the course. For some of you, you, uh, you live your life wherever you are that you might be worthy of being where you are. And what we learn from this passage is extremely simple, that in our walk with God, we do things, even when we don't know it, so that we can earn more, quote-unquote, brownie points with God. Even though there is nothing we can do to get more of God, we have all of him. You can't do anything that hasn't already been done for you. And living and the peace of that fact should change the way that you live. So rather than our focus being on the doing, our focus is on the faith. And our focus is on the freedom that comes from that. So this doesn't mean that you stop doing. It just means that you look at the motivations for why you are doing. And when you begin to grasp, grasp what it means to be justified, it will free you. 
So I want to read now verse 16 and 19 in that order. 16 and then 19. Because in 17 and 18, Paul is essentially saying the same thing again and again so that we can internalize what it means. But he says this again in verse 16. Know that a man is not called worthy by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 19. For through the law, the greater law. I died to the law, the old law, so that I might live. And I love this because it's not just in Galatians. It's all throughout scripture, but especially in Romans chapter five, we see this, uh, and you might want to mark that in your, in your Bible, Romans chapter five, because there's so much in there that helps us to know what it means to live free. We see in verse nine of chapter five. So Romans five, nine says this, since we have been justified, since we have been called worthy by his blood, not by what we have done, but by what he has done, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. So why is justification important? From this passage, I'm going to give you four reasons why justification is important. Number one, it saves us from God's wrath. That's, that's, that's incredibly valuable. That when we are called worthy, we understand verse 9 that it saves us from God's wrath that our future is secure and has been said of you that you are good with God. And although that's pretty amazing, there are many more things that we can learn about justification. And the second is in verse 10. So Romans 5, verse 10, that while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And the second reason is that word reconciled, which means that we were made at peace with God. So what's another reason why we were justified? Or what's the, another reason why it's important? Is because we have been made right with God or we are at peace with God. You don't have to worry about standing before God because you are at peace with him. And that is not all. There's much more. And that's exactly what the next part of that verse says. In verse 10, it says, how much more? How much more, having been reconciled at peace with God, shall we be saved through his life? Did you catch that? The third reason is that we've been saved through his life. And much of the time I'm guilty of this, that I focus on salvation being a thing of the future. I think of salvation as being something that happens after I die. And yet God is reiterating for us time and again that salvation happens in this life. Now, Wendy and I had um, a number of ministry experience that accompanied our ministry prior to coming to Illinois. So when I was a pastor in North Carolina, there were a number of ministry experiences that we had that kind of formed me into the person that I am today. Now, by far, I've got a lot to learn. I'm not perfect. I got a lot to learn, but I acquired a lot more gray hair than I had originally intended on early on in my 20s. And uh, it was a challenging ministry. And to the point where, although I was supposed to be leading other people into their relationship with God, I had a very difficult time in my own walk with God. And what happens is, although we would believe that somebody leading a church just by default has a good relationship with God, that is not the case. Uh, that, that spot that I was in for a pastor or for anyone will lead to burnout. And I was at a place in my life where I was really struggling with my relationship with God. I wasn't living with the understanding 
of the fact that I'm already free in my relationship with God, that I've already had salvation coming to me now. And so Romans chapter 5 lifts that to the surface, that maybe whatever the challenge that you're going through, and in my life, those were the challenges that I was facing at the time, but for you, whatever the challenge is, there is salvation in this life. Life is given to us now for us to sense what God is doing in us. And that is not all because there's one more verse in Romans 5 that even adds onto the pile of why justification is so important. And that is in verse 11, that we also rejoice in God. We rejoice in God. For some reason, I feel that many believers live out of a place of trying to make an angry God happy. And what we need to understand is that we are good with God. We are at peace with God. We are reconciled to God. That we are in a place where he has called you worthy to be in the place that you are. You no longer have to do things to quote-unquote earn brownie points with an angry God. You are in a good spot with him. The very uh, beginning of the book of 1 John says that these things are written so that your joy may be complete. So we get scripture not to show us all the things that we are doing wrong, but to show us how joyful we can be because we have a, a faith that is secure, that we have this freedom in Christ. So being justified frees us, and that starts right now, being declared righteous, being told you are worthy, is a one-time event. It's a one-time experience that you get. And this passage isn't so much about why we need justification, but how we get justification or how we get justified. And we proceed to our lives. We proceed to live our lives a lot of times by the law, but we are saved by faith. So now, uh, so now we live our lives out of a place of salvation and by faith and not by out of the law. So um, in the 1800s, there was a famous um, tightrope walker by the name of Charles Blondin. Likely you've heard this story told before, but he was the first person to take a tightrope and stretch it across Niagara Falls. And as he walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, a crowd began to assemble, and he walked across... And then he did it again, and then he did it again, and a, a crowd is starting to assemble. And as the crowd starts to assemble, and as he begins to get more comfortable with walking across on a tightrope, he walks backwards on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And then he walks backwards to the middle and starts to do tricks on the tightrope. And people are astonished at his ability to be able to walk across on a tightrope. But then he goes to the crowd that is assembled, and he says, Is there anybody in the crowd who is willing to step forward and ride across Niagara Falls on my shoulders. And there was silence in the crowd until one brave volunteer raised his hand. Now, I would imagine after seeing him go across that many times that there was some level of confidence that he had the ability to carry somebody across on his shoulders. But it took a person to have enough faith to actually put his life in the hands of Charles Blondin before he was able to do it. And successfully, he walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope with a man on his shoulders. Now imagine, though, 
If that man that was on Charles Blondin's shoulders, halfway across on the tightrope, said to Charles, Hey, Charles. Hey, Chuck. Uh, I'm good. Put me down on the tightrope. I'm going to go ahead and walk across the rest of the way. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. I think the crowd that day would have said, This guy has lost his mind. Someone who has no experience with this, somebody who has not proven themselves, is now standing on the tightrope, walking across. And the unfortunate thing about where we live is that when we try to live our lives by the law or live our lives by deeds done to earn God's favor, what we have done is we've said to Jesus, hey, I'm good. Why don't you go ahead and put me down here and I will attempt to now walk across the rest of Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And we have proceeded to lose our minds because unfortunately we are naturally wired to want to do And yet what Jesus is trying to do is to get us to trust in him for every part of our lives. That's what this passage is about. And you can see why just two verses later in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, you foolish Galatians. That's a, I think that's kind of soft language, to be 100% honest with you. I mean, Mike said it last week, so I feel like a little freedom to say, He says, you idiots. Like, this is ridiculous. One of the versions says, uh, what magician has cast a spell on you? Like, I mean, literally, this is, uh, you've lost your minds to try to live on your own, to try to walk across the tightrope on your own when you have laid out for you a greater law, a greater understanding of Christ. You You have an understanding of justification that thousands of years of history have no understanding of or at least a less complete version of understanding. And so he says, here is what you are supposed to put your faith and trust in, but how do we do that? And that's where we come to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And in the last few weeks of my, uh, the ending of the sermon, when I do the, the benediction, I have used Galatians 2.20. It can be argued that this is the theme verse for all of Galatians, but the idea is that if you get this, you get it. And we see in the very first portions of that chapter, or of that verse, we see this, that I have been crucified with Christ. Now, I just want to pause right there for a second, because if you grew up in church, you likely have heard this verse time and again. If you did not, and this is the first time of you hearing that verse, we hear about crucifixion because it's in Scripture. Um, there is a cross on the wall behind me. So for us to talk about crucifixion is not out of the ordinary. But you have to think about a man like Paul who's going out of the, um, out of where it was common for people to have believed in Jesus. So out of the, the regions of Jerusalem and Judea. And he's out in Galatia where it was not uncommon for people to know about crucifixion, but it was uncommon for them to know about Jesus being crucified and rising for the de- from the dead. And you have to understand, this was, a, this was a shameful way to die. This was an excruciating, shameful way f- for, for the worst of criminals to die. This was not something that you would boast about. This is not something that you would tell others that you were excited about. This was crucifixion. People would watch it so that the fear of crucifixion would entrench their hearts so that whatever those people did, they would not do. There was fear 
with this. And he says, I am identifying with somebody who has been crucified. And the reason why he did that is because when Paul, who killed people who originally would say, I believe in Jesus who was crucified, he got, he was converted. He began to grasp the height and the width and the depth of what it meant for Jesus to have given his life on the cross. Because what was shameful and what was excruciating and what would despised people who were crucified, which by the way is what we deserved, through that, Jesus was able to give Paul and by default, you and me, grace. Something that we did not deserve. And so we see Paul boasting in that. And again, he says it in Ephesians chapter 2, in, eight, in verse 8 and 9. It's for by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. So that no one can boast. And man, we love to boast. We love to do it. That's why we need to be reminded of the fact that we have been set free. And here's where the end of that verse comes in. Galatians 2.20. For I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh or in the body, which is the life that we are living right now, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And if you can get that, you get it. Living by faith is how we live worthy, justified, day in and day out, because it is no longer us that lives, but Christ who lives in us. It's a day-to-day dependence on Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says we walk by faith and not by sight. Perhaps this is living out our faith can be very frustrating because like the stock market, we have an up day and then we have a down day. And then we have an up day and then we have two down days. And if you process your life in Christ by a day or a week or perhaps even a year, the amount of change can be embarrassing. But I was reminded, I followed the building of the Freedom Tower in downtown Manhattan. I don't know if any of you were following the building of that. They had pictures that were posted uh, most every day. And then what happened was over the course of time, so day by day, you'd look at the building of the Freedom Tower in place of the World Trade Centers there, and you could see zero change in it from day to day. Very little change from day to day. And yet, if you go on YouTube, you can watch the, vi- the, the time-lapse video of the Freedom Tower being put up. So over the course of years, it's in five minutes or something, and you can see the building getting put up, and it changes the entire landscape of Manhattan. The entire skyline is different. And the reality for us is that we get caught in the day-to-day living of life. That's what Peter got caught in 
trying to impress the Gentiles. That's what the Galatian believers got caught up in. That's what the Ephesian believers got caught up in. That's what the Corinthian believers got caught up in. And what is it to suggest that we somehow are so prideful and what, knowledgeable enough that we're not going to fall into this? And yet the reality is all of us day in and day out are prone to falling into living our lives to impress God, to, 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 to do as opposed to understand what's been done. And so we come to this end, which is how do I live my life in faith? And I mean, there could be 10 more messages preached on application of how we live our lives in faith. But I think Christ Church has come up with some pretty good ones that we automatically have built in and baked into the rhythm of what it means to be a part of this church. And so I just want to share briefly four of them with you. The first is a worship service. So obviously, the fact that you're here shows that you prioritize a worship service, but oftentimes we don't think about the reality of what worship services do. The opportunity for us to be encouraged by a large group of people worshiping our creator, singing songs, praying, giving generously, hearing messages from the word is an opportunity for us to live our lives out in faith because we go out of here and try to interact in whatever the environment that you are in, which will tear you down living a life of faith. And you need to be encouraged and challenged and built up with worship services. The second is small group or small gatherings, small groups, opportunities that are outside of this where you're sitting in a row and you're looking up at, he, up at me, but you're looking at one another and you're getting to know other people who know and love Jesus. And that is incredibly important for every single one of you. If you are not in a group, you need to be in a group because it's not, uh, it's not cut and dry. It's not easy. It's messy. Sometimes your house is literally messy but you invite people in because it is an opportunity to grow in your faith day by day. The third is serving. We don't give you five announcements with, I encouraged Ben to do the rap, but he just decided not to. I, you know, if, we don't give you five announcements because we want to give you five announcements. We're op- giving you opportunities to live out your faith by serving. And you go, yeah, feed my starving children isn't going to be living out my faith. I'm going to go one time. Guys, listen, by, give, by not prioritizing yourself and prioritizing the people you're serving with and the people you're serving for, the children, it'll grow your faith. And man, that's just an example of hundreds of things that you can do. And then the fourth is this. We have, over the last year, we've integrated spiritual conversations called spiritual check-ins. I've done, I don't know, 22, 25 of these over the course of the last eight months, and they have been valuable for me, but for others. It's a one-hour confidential conversation that you have with somebody who's been trained, either a pastor on staff or somebody on the one-to-one care team who allows for you to check up where you are in your walk with God. And you go, you know what? I feel stale or I feel stagnant. A lot of people don't want to look at their spiritual lives, to be honest with you. They just rather come to church and be done. But the reality is when you can look in and say, you know what? I'm feeling a little bit 
dry here. I don't have spiritual rhythms. I don't have spiritual disciplines. I'm just living life. And it's seven days a week and it's crazy and it's wild. And I got family and I got work and I got everything else going on. You need somebody who can speak into your life, a spiritual mentor or a coach who says, these are some practices that will help you to draw your life to be a life of faith and not a life of doing, because that's what all of us need, myself included. And so we get to this spot at the end. And the reality is I can encourage you to worship and get into a small group and I can get you to serve and I can encourage you to take spiritual checkups. But the reality is that you may have never actually gotten to a place where you have placed your faith in Christ alone. And I would say there is no way that you should leave today without having placed your faith in Christ alone because you're going to find yourself doing and never doing enough because the insatiable appetite of our flesh and the world and our natural habits would get us to be drowned in a pool of doing. And my encouragement is to say, don't walk the tightrope alone because you have been justified. You have been called worthy to be a son or a daughter of the king. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the incredible promises of your word, for the reality of living free. Lord God, there's the law and it's, and it's, it's valuable. We need to see how we ought to live. We need the diagnostic. But God, may you pierce our hearts today, that you might move us uh, wherever we may be. It's the beauty of your spirit and the beauty of what you do and how you move is that you meet every one of us where we are. God, would you do that today? And Lord, as we celebrate by singing this final song, Lord, I pray if there's a person here who says they have not yet placed their faith and trust in Christ alone, that they would do that today. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.